What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Have you been taking inventory of your life lately? I've heard a bunch of people talk about organizing their homes, finally getting rid of items they've outgrown, or putting others to use for the first time. And so many of us are evaluating our lives, considering which habits, goals, or relationships nourish versus no longer serve us. A professor at the University of Paris, Justin E.H. Smith, wrote an essay along these lines recently called It's All Just Beginning, which was published in The Point. Without downplaying the seriousness or devastation of COVID-19, he was actually experiencing symptoms while penning this. He wrote, there is liberation in this suspension of more or less everything. Any fashion, sensibility, ideology, set of priorities, worldview or hobby that you acquired prior to March 2020, and that may have by then started to seem to you cumbersome, dull, inauthentic, a drag, you are no longer beholden to it. I've heard from a few listeners who relate to this. Steph told me she's been healing from a breakup, and she'd been planning to dive right back into dating to find the next Ms. Wright until the pandemic hit. Instead, she told me she's enjoying this alone time for solitude and self-growth and wants to stay single longer. I love that, Steph, and I bet your whole life, including any future relationships, will benefit from that. Personally, here in the girl boner realm, I've spent time lately thinking about new and different ways to best bring you all meaningful and compelling content. I've also been going through my inventory of episodes, which inspired this one. I launched Girl Boner Radio back in 2014, and I'm sure some of you haven't heard some of the earliest episodes. If you started listening in the past year or two, that could take a lot of scrolling. If you have been listening from day one, I thought you might enjoy a little replay and to hear how past guests are doing today. So, welcome to my first Where Are They Now episode. If you enjoy it, let me know and I will keep them coming pun as always embraced. Today, I am excited to share the best parts of my original chat with adult star and sex worker, Sarah Vandella. Back then, we explored her personal journey, sexual empowerment, and her top blowjob tip for women, which can work well for all sexes and genders. Stick around afterward to find out how Sarah's doing over five years later, which is a pretty long time in the adult star world. Hint, she is still rocking it. Then Dr. Megan Fleming will weigh in for a listener who wants to do away with a small penis fetish. So back in October 2014, I asked Sarah to talk about her earliest career inspirations. Well, to be honest with you, it was somewhere when I was very young. Uh, we were on a family road trip. We, um, During my adolescence and living in Long Island, my dad moved us to Orange County, California for a very brief time. So I grew up uh, fourth grade to about eighth grade in California. So we were doing a family vacation on the coast, and I just remember this fascination of working girls and what it would be like to kind of put yourself out there and 
offer not only the sex, but the relief of the companionship. Something about that really inspired me. And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I later revisited that. So I was always very sexually curious as a younger girl and did a lot of daydreaming and fantasizing. And I even went through this weird phase where I went to the library and I would say to my mom, I want to read about prostitution and I want to read about what it's like. And so I, I educated myself and I saw the real nasty, ugly side, like the drug addiction and the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the desolation of it all, the, the, the desperation where it was done out of needing, um, it's quick, the only option, right. Yeah. Quick money or something for a drug. And that was the part that I couldn't relate to that I didn't like. And I wanted to see if all of that was put aside, you know, uh, and, and now I'm fast forwarding to my early twenties and let me give you a brief, um, Nutshell. So I, I did the high school thing, uh, did a little bit of the junior college thing. Due to my moving around, I couldn't establish the correct credits to really get into a great state school, but I, I really tried. Um, Self-education, so. though. That's, that's my favorite, man. When you can Absolutely. really— Because you're also studying what you want to study, and you're exploring it with questions, which I love, because you are— reading all of this. And you said, wait a minute, there's got to be something more because you saw benefits. And I certainly grew up with the idea that all sex work is this like dirty mm -hmm. prostitution that involves drug addicts as sure. well. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me that you, that struck you so early, you know, maybe before society had stepped in and said, this is a bad route, you know, to take. Yes. And it was, it was so weird because I was so curious about it, but I never, nothing became of it until I was 23. 22, 23. Okay. Um, but I did the school thing and it just wasn't for me. Like you said, you want to learn about something that you're interested in. And yeah. the prerequisites, I felt like I was in 13th grade. So I, I was, totally don't you I was over it. So yeah. I, I, I yeah. said, let me, let me work in a porno shop. Yeah. Let me put myself around this this porn, this, this, this visual. Of so had you been watching porn and you thought I want in there. Okay. And you know what I loved? I loved like the vivid girls. They were like superheroes to me. Like Playboy uh, channel would showcase like Savannah and, um, Jenna, Jenna Jameson, of course. Sure. And, um, you know, just, just the originals. And I would just look up to them and say, wow, they're so glamorous and so sexy. And it's so on their terms. And yeah. That there's was a strength about them. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And, um, that appealed to me. And uh, I wanted to see if I had what it took to not only be around the, the porn and the smut aspect of it, because I was very sheltered and shy throughout my early 20s or, excuse me, teens. And, you know, right when I started turning 22, 23, did I let that let, let that out? And um, I, uh, I worked in that porn shop for a little while. And then I just kind of had this sixth sense about this club around the corner. And it was, it was a blowjob club, more or less. And okay. it, it was with protection. And, um, the girls there, we had blowjobs and handjobs. And it wasn't until a few years later that they added sex. It was a trip. Like the manager would come in in the morning. We would all be in the room getting set up, getting dressed up for, it was a peep show. So the window went up. The guy would pick a girl, go in the room and, Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But he would come in and with all these condoms and we'd buy them. And that was my, after the porn shop, that's where I went. And it was just so 
freeing and I loved it. It turned me on. It was so much fun. And um, I said to myself, wow, I wonder what it would be like to go legal. So that's when I started exploring Nevada brothels. You mentioned being really curious as a kid and a bit shy. So what did you learn about sexuality aside from your own studies? Did you learn much in school from your family? Not much in school. It was... I learned a lot about my fantasy, and um, I indulged that a lot as a younger girl. And masturbation was a huge outlet for me. Awesome. Um, it should be for more girls. It I should think. be. It's discouraged, and it's. I think that that is a one reason not to get into another topic, but oh, that so many adolescent girls and teen girls struggle with depression because mm. it's incredible if you don't release that energy if you don't explore that and kind of get in touch with your body when it's changing. I mean, couldn't agree more. And I can relate to that even still to this day when, you know, us women, we have our, our womanliness and, you know, sometimes we just need that release. Of Um, course. Wow. So you didn't learn much in school and your family, did they have an open communication about it? Very much so because my curiosity was open because I didn't feel shame. I grew up in a very like liberal reform Jewish family. So I asked a ton of questions. And my parents were very receptive to answering them, but they didn't always know the right way. So we did a little bit of therapy, you know, like any neurotic Jewish family does <laughs> in, the, in the early 90s in, bad in Long Island. Sex therapy they, with yeah, the whole family. They took me, they took me this child, uh, this adolescent uh, therapist. It was it was a trip. It was fine. And uh, I remember her saying to my dad and my mom, oh, it's that time, huh? And they're like, yeah, she's asking a lot of questions. And her advice at the time was to take me to the library. And because I was already familiar with books on prostitution, <laughs> Yeah. To now show me books on actual intercourse, so it was it was a little out there. I mean, I, I went to the library with both my parents, and they like showed me what sex really was because I still didn't really know what sex was when I was kind of fascinated and intrigued by sure. this power that women had. And so you could feel the really sensuality, wild. but it's such a different thing because there's no sensuality in sex ed. I mean, it's none. It's not even talked about usually. So we don't really comprehend it when they show these diagrams and these, you know, this goes into this and this happens in the chemical release that it's not really a sexy process. So probably your parents haven't been too shocked at the, the path you've taken. Exactly. I mean, they weren't too thrilled when I told them, yeah, I'm going to be a clerk at a porno shop. I mean, they were like, oh, come on. But I was like, look, I'm 20 two, you know what, this is where I'm at right now. And then when I told them about three months later that I was going to start dancing, quote unquote, then they, they, they weren't concerned, uh, but I, I reassured them that I was okay with it and that I wasn't going to do anything I didn't want to do. And I've stuck true to that. And I love the fact that, uh, because you had open communication with them as a kid and and they didn't say, you know, that's bad. Shut up. Never talk about that. You told them all of this. So many parents are shocked. I think when they learn, Oh my God, my, my son or daughter is working in this industry and that's fantastic. So you you decided to, uh, enter the, the brothel industry. Tell us first of all, what that means. Cause I think that a lot of people don't even know, first of all, what the brothel experience really is besides what we hear in movies and things like that. Sure. And then also kind of the difference between legal versus, you know, yep. illegal. Absolutely. Well, for starters, the, uh, the brothel itself is set up so it's completely legal. So there's a sheriff's card, there's regular testing, um, up to the house, there's no, there's about, don't quote me on this, but there's probably between 10 to 15 houses in Nevada. Um, I've only worked at two of them. Okay. Uh, each house has its own rules and requirements for different minimums in which the, they're willing to start 
business at. As now, far as the fee. Correct. Okay. Now, every independent contractor, uh, working girl, is basically responsible for her own negotiations. Um, brothel workers are, to me, a mix of women that are like me in the sense that they feel that they are put on this earth to give back, whether it's sexually or being a sex therapist to a man or just giving a good fucking blowjob. Um, and then there's the women that, that you can tell it's aged them. Mm -hmm. You can see it on their face. And, uh, maybe at one point they were on the street and, um, that's the thing about brothels. They offer girls, second chances. So there's definitely a small percentage of that street mentality, um, which is why with certain communication in the brothel, a lot of things are coded. For instance, um, if a black gentleman was to walk in and look for a party, a party meaning uh, a date, a fuck. Okay. Sure. Um, and that's what we called it because it's just easier and classier. Yeah. Um, but there would be a, a voiceover in our brothel and it would be a code in that voiceover letting the ladies know that this gentleman was a man of color and he was looking to have some fun. Now, I don't know why that started, but when I was new and I worked at Sherry's Ranch, there was this amazing working girl named Carly, and she was just magnificent. She was blonde and blue-eyed, and she was just beautiful, but she had a very tough, hard mentality to her. She had these very interesting tattoos as well that didn't go, you know what I mean? You could tell that that was like a phase, sure, something rough, you know? Um, it was girls like Carly that they have this code because it was rumored that maybe they still had a gentleman on the outside that was still collecting some of their profits. So basically there were and still are a very small percentage number of women that are in legal brothels that have pimps, I see. which is a big no-no and uh, the house usually does not approve. So. And it's probably not perhaps their choice, but they feel controlled by it in a way because they end up in the career, like you said, from, from hard knocks. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. So, so if those are the girls that I see them and I have a lot of respect for them because I don't F with them. You know what I mean? But, uh, I know that I can't shoot the shit with them. There's other girls that I can be my yeah. goofy self and that's okay. Sure. And I respect that, you know, sure. but pass in the hallway. Yeah. Hello. Good. Day, you know, make yeah. money, you know, be well. So there's some unspoken kind of not rules, but just sort of like Yes. Procedures. And Absolutely. Ways you guys treat each other. I learned that very fast, August. I, I, I got to tell you, I have this incredible memory of, of my first day at the brothel at Sherry's Ranch, Pahrump, Nevada. Couldn't have been, uh, it had to be between 2006 and seven. And I remember going up to this, th another woman by the name of Roxanne and she was just gorgeous. And I stuck my hand out. And I said, hi, my, and at the time I went by Cheyenne. That was my stage name. Sure. And I said, hi, I'm Cheyenne. It's really nice to meet you. And she said, I don't shake hands. Wow. And I said, okay. <laughs> Lesson learned. And that yeah. was like, whoa. I, I, you know, that was that was a little hard to hear, but I didn't, you know. Yeah. Eye-opening, I'm sure. I was like, okay. But perhaps putting you on a good track to be like, okay, so First every day. job has its rough points, and that could be one of them. Now, just to clarify, so why would it matter? Why would you need a code for sure. somebody of, who's African-American? Is it because pimps are a certain race? It's more I, or less, and they okay. prefer that their lady don't have another encounter with a man of... Oh, I see. That's usually the street. And I don't come from that. Yeah. But I've I've been around that and I've heard some really sad stories and that's one aspect of brothel life. And, sure. um, 
you know, there's girls that also make a magnificent career out of it that have maintained their age, their dignity, just their grace, and because it's all on their terms. And, uh, you know, you can just tell, even in film, you can see the different stature of performer that they don't need to be drunk to fuck on film. Yeah. And then you can see the girls where they're, sl- you know, they're it's kind of sloppy. Like- <laughs> and if you got if you got to be drunk to do a double anal, I don't know, maybe you should pass on it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, maybe it's not your job. That's all. It, it totally reminds me of in a completely different level. But it's like when you're dating, you know, if you if you need to be drunk, like I had this boyfriend oh, who I had to be drunk to have any fun with in any way, sexually or anything. Right. And it's like that's kind of a gigantic red flag that you're not really, you know, in totally. the in the right place at the right time it's not really you and authenticity is so important you know I think in whatever we do uh so legalizing versus you know the illegal work do you have opinions and do you feel like sex work should be across the board legalized regulated all that stuff I don't I feel like uh it's a woman's prerogative uh and you know whether she wants to offer herself um to a man for a service and uh, taking it a step further, uh, you know, I legalizing it across the board. I mean, would it be horrible? No, but I just don't know if I don't know if that would be the right thing to do. I think more awareness and just more support for sex workers yeah. um, is something I'd like to see personally, um, less of a stigma, less of a, a shamed kind of, you know, reputation that comes along with it because it is a choice, you know, for, for me to personally continue on in this career, whether sure. it's, in, uh, you know, in, in front of a camera or behind a closed door. Absolutely. So, yeah. And in that way, you are making such a difference. In a way, you're an activist simply by being who you are, because I think anybody who is working to break a stigma, the most powerful way is to show them a better example. That's right. And, you know, listen, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't have a hard time uh in my early stages, uh, getting into this lifestyle. Um, but I stuck to some core values, which in turn, I had to make a choice whether to leave set and say, I'm sorry, I can't perform this scene because this extra isn't tested and you want him to dildo me. Um, it just didn't feel right because I'm the kind of performer you start dildoing me. I'm going to want to fuck, you know what I mean? I'm going to want to take it there because I'm a freak. But before we roll, before anything, we look at each other's tests. We make sure each other is clean, safe, make sure each other, whatever our yes and no's are for that scene and then we go balls to the wall with it but you know I've had to uh you know get off my knees literally August and say f you I'm not doing this and looking back I wish I would have excluded the f you because once we put that hostility before our value then our value is discredited because all we are is hostile but my message was clear and um it was my first, it was within my first year, so I, I could get away with it. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. <laughs> but looking course. back, I mean, wow, it was like yeah. I really stuck to that. And so, Good for you. Thank you really you. set your standards. Thank you. And I, I've had huge. people, I've had people that have seen that because it was part of a, you know, thing on TV, whatever. And they've said, Good for you. Yeah. You know, good for you. And I've said, Thank you so much. And, um, you know, that's all. You live and learn. Once you do have those standards, people respect you more. Do you feel like it's been since that first experience, are most people really receptive to that conversation before? More or less, yes. Yes. That's um, great. 
Yes. Overall. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose each time you do, it's like a muscle, you know, you get stronger in it and you feel more confident and you realize you don't have to even come off hostile. Like, and I'm learning that also with age in life. Like I'm learning to relax and not, you know, yeah. So it makes a huge difference. Like why am I stressing? Chill, bitch. You know, it's so true because it affects everything. And Lord knows you're not going to have an orgasm if you're sitting there really tense either or enjoying anything. There's nothing worse than like trying to take that time for yourself and you're like trying to relax and you're just like oh it's not gonna happen right now I have to revisit this later totally I hate that (laughs) speaking of which one topic that we cover a lot here is um, body image Mm. and how have you maintained or have you always kind of had a positive relationship with your body or how have you developed one because I imagine that's pretty essential for the kind of work you do absolutely um well I'll start with this I I always had a very negative image of my body for many, many years growing up. Um, I was chubby. I went through the name calling thing, you know, it sucked. Yeah. And, um, I was early to hit puberty. So I was definitely the first girl in my class to have a shape and the guys didn't let me forget it. Yeah. So that was, you know, it's hard, but coming into my years on camera and in this industry, I've learned to embrace my curves. Um, I definitely, have seen that hitting the gym is more flattering to my figure. So I'm in this kind of lifestyle now where I work out regularly, but it wasn't always that way. The percentage of my work, I'm fat. Like if you ask me, that is awesome though, that you can work though, because oh, so yeah. I was so curvy yeah. and uh, you know, it was amazing. I, I have had amazing companies hire me that continue to hire me. And um, like Bang Bros, Brazzers, Naughty America. They've been really good to me throughout my whole career. And, um, yeah, I've shot me all different shapes. So that is so incredible. And that's something it that is. I've been learning too, is that it, you know, the adult industry really does embrace more broad standards. Whereas, uh, my background was in, a. Uh, after high school, I was modeling in New York and I remember we'd go into the agency and oh this booker, he would come up to us and pinch us on, on our, the side of our waist to see, you know, if we had any extra anything. And oh I had poor body image skin. Up, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Can you lose oh. this? True. Is there a, a saw? Every woman struggles with body mm-hmm. image, but when you take it, those kinds of standards, which, you know, also get into film and TV and all these things. It's, it's really refreshing to see an industry that says, you know what, all shapes and sizes. It's not about that. You know, physical beauty is a, is a thing, but it comes in all different kinds of formats. And don't you think confidence makes such a huge difference? Absolutely. Um, that is the number one sexiest, I think, attraction for me, uh, as, as a woman is confidence in men and women. Um, Wow. So you were a model. I was. Wow. Like a million years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you runway and stuff? I did. I didn't think I would because I'm, uh, I'm not even, I'm like five, eight and a half. Yeah. They're very strict with that. They are. And I'm from Minnesota and I thought, well, I'm going to move out to New York and I'm going to be a face (sighs) model. (laughs) You know, I didn't think I would because I just thought I'm shrimpy compared, you know, to to the, to the runways. And my first job was runway. And I just, so I ended up doing both, which I, I liked the runway because there was a lot of, uh, like theatrical parts, which I I love that the performance part is fun, which you get because you're also an actor. Yeah. And relating to that, you know, uh, there was a time in between the brothel and my porn where I did a little research, but I compared myself to a lot of the present day ladies that were, you know, around and 
I um, didn't feel like I wasn't good enough, but my confidence wasn't fully there. And that's okay. It took a little time, but I was planting my seed. I was educating myself. I picked up the phone and made a lot of phone calls and called different agencies and asked questions. And it wasn't until I actually ran into a legit porn star at the brothel that she invited me to um, watch her shoot. And it was just great. We took a little road trip from Vegas to L.A., and um, I was, I knew it was the right time. And I shot my first three scenes two weeks later and I've been shooting ever since. Wow. So yeah. tell me, I know you yes. just yeah. recently did a yeah. film. Yeah. What, what's sh- happened in your film career? Well, um, I've been shooting, thank God, you know, staying in the game. It's tough because I'm seven years in, so I'm not a new girl anymore, but I'm so grateful to still work for Zero Tolerance, Devil's Films, Hustler, um, Brazzers, Naughty America just had me. So I've been staying busy. I've been doing some fun titles such as, um, if you want to fuck my daughter, you have to fuck me first. And that's for Devil's Films. Well, that's saucy. So I got, oh, isn't it? Oh, my. So I got to play a mom. It was really fun because I worked with this adorable, you know, just cute little 20-year-old. And she had a little southern tw- little, little southern twang. So in our storyline, she's been living with her dad for the past 10 years. And she finally came back to visit me. You know, it was just Aww. cute. So that was fun. But no, I'm a cougar now and I'm embracing it. I love that. You, I'm, if y'all can, I'm I mean, a cougar. you are not a cougar. <laughs> but you're I, you're I, like the, your little baby cub cougar. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But I know what you mean because everyone I've talked to in the adult industry, it seems that, uh, you know, the days of just having this superstardom that lasts for decades is kind of gone because it's been so saturated. So now it's, you know, there's like the new girl, the new girl, the new girl. So to have a stable career is, is, is pretty awesome. That's why I'm so blessed to still do the exoticas, the AVNs and, um, you know, my, my amazing fans that support Sarah Vandella, uh, they know who they are. And many of them, uh, have seen me go through different, you know, phases of my career and have still been here. You know what I mean? Because I still always, even though I had some struggles, you know, I still always loved what I did and I still love it and That's I awesome. still have fun with it. That is so important. And I you think know? it probably shows in your work. I'm doing a blowjob after this. I'm ready to say that. I'll just imagine this. Like <laughs> you're making money for having sex, for giving blowjobs, for having fun. orgasms. I mean, and what? I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Knowing that I can provide this like outlet for men and women um, and they can jerk off and and masturbate to me. I think it's sexy as hell and uh, it's very empowering. And do you get similar empowerment from the escort brothel type work and film or is it so it doesn't need to be on camera to be empowering for you? It doesn't. And a lot of like to sound funny, it's like working at the brothel is like my charity as as, as a sex worker. That's like me giving back. Totally. And it's and it's great because a lot of the men are just so grateful to have someone to spend time with and they can see through the girl that really legit cares and is really just counting the minutes to me that's I get something back from that, you know? Yeah. I really do. So I could see that. I, I still that. I'm actually trying to uh put it out there to the universe that I'm interested in working at the bunny ranch as a new, um, house to work in. Um, So we'll see about that. I have met Dennis Hoff in the, in the past and, um, what a, what a character I've, (laughs) I've heard some, some wild things about him, but, um, I, uh, would be interested to possibly 
work at All the... All right, everybody. If anyone has a connection, <laughs> I know you're, you're dialing right now. Carson okay? City, Nevada. Yeah. Bunny uh, Ranch. Let's make it happen. No kidding. 2015. You would be so proud and excited <laughs> the new year. To, to help make that happen. If anybody hears that and yeah, that would be put in a great word, I feel like we did our service today. Right? Too, so that's, We're all giving back care. We're all paying so, forward. Exactly. So I have to ask, Please. because you are a top professional at blowjobs, is there a tip you could give to just, you mm-hmm. know, up the ante a little bit? It may sound so silly, but when you think about it, it really can make a difference. Breathe through your nose. Breathe through your nose. So when you're sucking the dick, breathe through your nose. Teach yourself to breathe through your nose. That way you can spend more time down there and you relax more. So maybe even learn a little deep throating. There you go. And don't be afraid to get nasty, ladies. Yeah, just try it. Just try it. We're saying, okay, what? So you cough, you choke, or maybe you puke. Oh, well. You're not going to, like, <laughs> throw up unless you are, like, you you overate. Like, the swimming rule. Wait 30 minutes after, you know, eating before you it. take a dip. I before you literally like, take a dick. So. Uh, just, just a minute, baby. Let's let's, uh, let's watch digest. a couple more minutes of the TV show. Right. Or, yeah, just put it off a little bit. That makes yeah. sense. And it's also, I know some women don't particularly love, you know, maybe in, inhaling so much of flavors and stuff like that, too. So I imagine yeah. there's lots of different things that could be helpful in that way. I mean, go with um, a, um, a very thin... Latex condom for safety, but if you know your partner and you're safe and you're monogamous, I say skin on skin is the way to let the love begin. <laughs> I, I would love that cross-stitch on my pillow. Right? I just, love that. Just a thought for That's fabulous. For yeah. And what about for women who want to gain more sexual empowerment who are perhaps, because a lot of women struggle with sort of, because of the same things we've been talking about, a lack Absolutely. of education or being told that sexuality is not a good thing. What's mm-hmm. one thing or, you know, that they can do to just start feeling more like their sexy selves? You you know, I got to say, I feel so sorry for any woman who's, who was raised in an environment where they were taught that sex and their body is shame and negative because I just never had that experience. Um, but what I can say is coming from a place where I wasn't always positive on my own image, um, what's helped me especially overcome it. And it's a daily reprieve. There's days where I'm like, not, not perfect in that area, but you know, you figure it out. I would say just really be honest with yourself and say, what turns, what do I need? What does my body need? What turns me on? What is something that's going to make me feel sexy and confident? You know, that's, that would be my advice. And it may sound cheesy, but I'm all about putting the pen to paper, like write it out, write a fantasy journal, write down words, sexy words or images. I don't know. Just get it on paper and you can reflect on it and see where you're at. And you may learn a thing or two about yourself. I think that advice still holds true, no matter our gender. I caught up with Sarah by phone the other day to find out how she's been doing personally and professionally and amid the pandemic. A little heads up that you'll hear my dog bark at some point just briefly. Just pretend she's cheering Sarah on. I told Sarah that as I listened to our first interview, I was really struck by the longevity part because here she is having nearly doubled her career in years since then, and she is still thriving in beautiful ways. I asked her if she would fill us in on her latest. Absolutely. Um, Well, thank you so much. I 
Right now where I'm at is maintaining during quarantine. Um, Shortly before quarantine, I had a pretty nice and full schedule. Uh, Most of my time was split between filming here in Los Angeles and then spending uh, one to two weeks at a Nevada brothel, um, the Mustang Ranch. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I miss it dearly, um, but it was wonderful to have a packed schedule and stay busy and be independent and um, still be able to film with studios that I love. And I have also, since we've last spoken, put a lot more time and effort into my OnlyFans page, and I am finally starting to see a really nice uh, consistency, if you will, and um, it makes me happy to provide my fans with some original content, as well as, like I said, still being able to film for other studios. Um, But yeah, right now I'm hanging in there, uh, daily uh, workouts at home and phone calls with family and friends. Um, I also have a a boyfriend now and he's fantastic. He's very supportive of me. Um, We met about almost three years ago this September while I was dancing for a little bit here in LA, kind of just in between shoots, staying busy. Um, And long story short, we we fell in love and uh, sadly he does live out of state. He's in Washington, um, but I have been uh, visiting him as well, uh, as traveling to the ranch and staying here. So, uh, we both have been quarantining for about two and a half months. And then finally I saw him like last week and it was really, really, really nice. And yeah, so I've, I've, I'm doing really well. (laughs) No, I'm so happy to hear that. How did you two meet? So, um, while I was at this, uh, this Los Angeles strip club, Dames and Games in Van Nuys, I was only working there a little bit, you know, in between video shoots and I was making some decent money for what it was. Um, and, uh, I was kind of on my way out. It was only a summer thing. And besides I wanted to get back to the ranch anyway, Brian came in like, I don't know, one or two days before I was done there. And I just was immediately drawn to him. He's very handsome, but also had like a humility, a humble, um, disposition. And so we had some casual conversation. It was very natural. I didn't try to hustle him for a lap dance or anything. And I enjoyed our conversation and I asked him, um, for like his number (laughs) and he was so like surprised and um he gave me his business card and I started texting him that evening thanking him for the conversation we had and it took about two to three months for me to really like let let my guard down and let him in and um he's such an incredible man he he's a wonderful person and I'm very lucky to have met him um I love him very, very, very much. So, yeah, who knew that some cheese ball strip club in L.A. Would- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all the ways to find love. I really do believe that it often appears when we aren't expecting it. I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but that happened for me. It's happened for a lot of people I know. I also think being proactive and, like, going on dating apps is great, like, whatever works for you. I'm curious, though, what you've learned about yourself uh, and perhaps about love and relationships through this pandemic? Well, um, what I've learned about myself is that uh, I have come a long way from, you know, a very impatient person 
to someone who's still working on it at a day at a time. Um, I'm a lot more mindful than I ever was. I feel that if this pandemic happened five years ago or 10 years ago, I, I think I would, wouldn't be able to handle it as well as I'm handling it now. Um, maybe that's come with age, um, and also life changes that I've made. Um, but for right now, I just, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like you realize how badly you need people and how badly you need that human connection and how important it is for our own self-esteem and, and, and self-care. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, I, I went two and a half months without any human contact. And then finally I saw my boyfriend and it just was, was like, wow, you know, I, I never want to take for granted being able to hug a loved one or see, a, you know, someone that I care about. Um, so that's one thing. And then I guess I would say what I've learned about, um, did you say the industry as well? I didn't, but I definitely wanted to ask you about that. Yes. Well, um, it depends who you ask, but most of us are quarantining at home and doing solo work and, you know, utilizing what we have at our fingertips, so to speak. The industry is on a voluntary uh, production hold. However, again, it depends who you ask. There are certain people that are making the choice to film content with others that aren't in their household, and that is their choice. Personally, I have been doing solos with the exception of my boyfriend who I saw about a week ago. Um, so yeah, it's, everything is online now and virtual and it's kind of a different level of connection from the usual, um, you know, content that's provided, but it's, it's really giving creators a chance to be creative and utilize, you know, thinking outside the box and utilizing different resources to keep the content interesting. Cause let's face it, when you're home, stuck at home, You've got a number amount of, you know, maybe areas that you want to film in or that are good for filming. And maybe you have only a few toys and maybe you have neighbors, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you kind of like work around all these avenues. But if you can put your mind to it, you can really keep it flowing and keep it going. Um, so uh, there is still a living to be made and people are still able to to benefit. It's just uh kind of using different muscles than what we're used to going on set and kind of having a day, a day of shooting. Um, but the industry is resilient. We're hanging in there. We are getting updates weekly from our coalition and our free speech coalition and other allies of our industry. So it is something that they are, they want to bring us back when it's safe. Um, and safety for crew talent and everyone involved is, uh, first and foremost. So, they're working on a plan. I'm playing it by ear personally and kind of waiting to see how everything evens out. And then I'm hopeful that things will start to slowly come to a new normal. I believe it. I'm really happy to hear that. And what you were saying about being resourceful and creative, I think that's something so many of us are are learning about ourselves as some of the ways that we can manage and do things in different ways and some things might carry over. Are there certain things that you feel, whether in your own daily life or in your professional life that you're doing now because of the pandemic, but you think it'll perhaps keep going even when we do get to this, you know, quote unquote, new normal? Yes. I'm certainly going to take my time getting back to like gyms and stuff like this. Um, I also will probably do more driving again instead of uh, flying. 
Although it depends who you ask. Some people feel that now is the best time to fly. Some people think it's the worst time to fly. <laughs> it all comes <laughs> down to personal preference, I suppose. But I am going to take my time getting back into the real world, so to speak. I mean, I'm not, you know, crazy paranoid about everything, but I'm aware and I want to be ca- careful and I want to be respectful of my own health and others. And so I make the choice to wear a mask in public right now. Um, and I got to tell you, sometimes I get a little perturbed <laughs> when mm-hmm. I see people not wearing one, but you know what? We can only control ourselves and stuff. Um, I might be one of those people that will continue to wear a mask in public, even when it is not required here in LA, it is required right now. Are people following it? And that's a different story, but I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to be judgmental and point fingers. You know what I mean? It's a personal choice and I'm trying to be a compassionate human, not a judgmental human. And that is a lot of work and it's, and it takes a lot of mindfulness too. So it's crazy to think how easy our minds go to judgment instead of compassion. And I blame like, you know, just overloading yourself with social media and television and just like the garbage of society with that, because I do believe that there are some phenomenal, amazing people who truly care about others, despite their political beliefs, religious beliefs, creed, et cetera. Um, but why are we, why are, why is the, 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 the ugly glorified so much, you know? So I feel like it's, you know, for me personally, I got to keep a, a lid on it with how, how much I'm looking at social media and watching news, which I don't even really watch the news anymore. It's more clips on Twitter, but even that can start to screw with my self-care. So I got to keep it contained. <laughs> I hear you. No, it's so true. It's very easy. We've talked about how negativity bias makes us really hyper alert to, it's like if you're walking through the woods and you see a little spark of a flame, you're going to totally fixate on it because it's dangerous. And so it's so easy for us to glob onto that. And I love that you're setting those limits because I think we need that for our mental health. And, and then also what you were saying about really doing the work to, to be compassionate and and know that we are all in this together, even when we do have different beliefs. That's really beautiful. Um, last time we spoke, you shared an awesome blowjob tip, and you also shared an awesome tip for feeling sexy. Uh, you talked about like journaling and you know what turns us on and thinking about those things that I loved. I wondered if you could leave us with a tip for feeling more authentic um, in our in our lives and maybe having more pleasure while we're, you know, in this really unique time in the world? I love music and dancing right now. I just feel that um, listening to music can heal us and letting our bodies flow, any kind of movement, yoga, dancing, stretching, um, self-pleasure. I just, I'm all about, because we need a release. And I just feel that when you listen to some really good music, let your body go. Um, it's kind of a, it's like natural medicine. And, um, I've been doing, uh, since I've seen, since I last saw you, I started dancing and taking pole dance classes and all that. And dancing and music and movement have been a huge part of my life for the last five years. Um, I actually had to cancel a lot of future dance gigs because of this going on, but, um, let your body go and, take this time to get more comfortable with yourself and, uh, don't be afraid to look yourself in the mirror and, um, you know, try new things. (laughs) More great advice. I saw a post online the other day that said science will save us, but art will get us through. I believe that. 
To talk with Sarah one-on-one, head to onlyfans.com forward slash Sarah Vandella. And if you follow her on social media, look out for fake accounts, which still exist by the many. Find her OnlyFans link and correct social media handles down in the show notes. This week's listener question comes from Sam, who wrote this. Is there a way to cure a small penis fetish? I don't know why or how I developed it, but I don't think my wife likes it and I would like to stop that fetish. Best regards, Sam. Sam, you are awesome for sharing this. So a fetish is technically something that you need for sexual arousal and they are not anything to be ashamed of. Unless we are hurting someone, I believe that however we express our sexuality is healthy and great. You can't really cure a fetish since it's not an illness or a condition, though I can see why many people have that impression. Myths about fetishes abound. You can, however, explore ways to delight in small penis play and any other fantasies you might have in ways that both you and your wife are more comfortable with. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Thanks, Sam, for your question. And, you know, this is another example where I would love to sort of ask you a lot more questions because I'm not really clear what is distressing um, about having a small penis fetish for yourself and or your wife. So let me just sort of say for those who might not be aware, you know, the interesting thing is a lot of men have anxiety about the size of their penis. And just to put that into context, having a small penis in and of itself is not a medical diagnosis. Um, In fact, you know, very rarely, if at all, is a penis small enough to interfere with sexual functioning. And when that's the case, doctors refer to that as a micropenis. And people with a micropenis have a penis that is at least 2.5 standard deviations smaller than the average penis. And the average penis erect is about five inches. So I'm just trying to put in context, you know, what is even a small penis? But in the context of uh, a small penis fetish, the interesting thing is not all men who have it or who, again, it's an erotic turn on in and of themselves have a small penis. So I think for those listening, it's important to realize your partner may have and enjoy humiliation um, around the size of his penis and in a sense feeling he's not enough or can't satisfy him, but that the reality is that man may or may not even actually have a small penis. And a lot of men who have small penises, again, in no way does it interfere with their sexual functioning. They have as many nerve endings. They have as much pleasure and sensation. So again, going back to the fetish, the interesting thing is it can actually be a very good thing for guys because they're using their erotic imagination, right, to transform their anxieties about having a small penis into a kink that they can enjoy. So the fetish piece, usually, again, they sort of refer to it as small penis humiliation. The humiliation is really the most erotic turn-on. So interestingly enough, greatest erotic turn-on equals greatest blood flow and therefore more sizable erect penis. So again, I'm not sure in this context with what your wife may not like about it. Is it like many fetishes? Is it something you feel like you need to get aroused and turned on? And does it need to be a part of every sexual experience? Because in working with thousands of couples over 20 years, I can tell you, for most of us, it's the idea when something feels really rigid, right? There's not flexibility in how you express yourselves erotically. Now, again, in kink, sometimes, you know, 
BDSM, like there are many ways in which people consistently finding the right partner who equally has the same turn on as you. Um, again, it's it's like your vanilla or chocolate ice ice cream. Nobody, it never gets old in a sense. But I think for your wife, it may just be, you know, are there other ways in which you're aroused or turned on? Or does she need to humiliate you in a sense and talk about your small penis in order for you to get aroused? And the other thing I would say around this is if you explain to your wife more the why, right, why it's erotically charged for you, how and why it's a turn on. In my experience, uh, especially like say a submissive and it comes to pain and or leaving marks, if, if the partner understood the how and the why it's such a turn on, even when if it's not their own particular turn on and they just know how much it turns their partner on, that can often be enough of a motivator. So Again, it's unclear to me um, what about this feels problematic. I do hear that you want to change it. And I guess the one thing I can say there is, you know, it's like um, a foot fetish, say, for example. We can, you know, you're not interested in the how or the why. And there's a great book about that, Michael Bader, The Secret Logic of Sexual Arousal and Fantasies, that I highly recommend. Um but again, it's not about the why. You want to change something. And I often find these things are conditioned really young, often since childhood. And so, you know, I don't know that it's something that you're going to change. I don't know that it's it's like a sexual orientation. It's not necessarily something that you might change, but I think you do get to choose how much you want to express and play, right, with that fetish or not. Um so anyway, I hope this answers your question. Um, again, I don't unfortunately have great resources to sort of change it because, again, in and of itself, inherently, there's nothing wrong with it. But again, if it's causing you distress, I think it's more about learning alternative ways to enjoy, you know, and explore new turn-ons with your partner and your wife. Um, and that it's not necessarily something that will not hold eroticism for you. So and again, Michael Bader's book would be a great place to start if you want to know more about exploring the why. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I am so glad she normalized small penis concerns there. Ever since I released the small penis pageants episode, I have heard from so many penis havers, especially cis guys who were grateful for or just really related to that show. Sam, I hope this has been helpful and we wish you all the best. If you have a question for me or Dr. Megan or were inspired by a past guest and want to hear how they're doing now, reach out through the links in the show notes. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 